0: The Bible tells us in verse 24 of Mark 13, But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be fallen from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in in clouds with great power and glory. And then... He will send out his angels and gather the very elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth and of heaven. From the fig tree learned this lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gate. And truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Father, we ask you that you would bless the reading of this word not only to our heart, but to our mind. Help us to meditate on it today. Give us correction led by your Holy Spirit. We pray that as the words are going forward today, that you will direct them. Father, that you will give us the illumination from your word. You will help us to apply these words. You will help us to look for your return and anticipate it, Lord. And Father, we just ask you today, if there's one listening who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray today would be the day you would call them to yourself and you do the work of salvation And we pray it in your name, the precious name of Jesus, we pray it, amen. You may be seated. So as you know, today we'll mark the third week in the Last Things series, the series that we call Eschatology, the study of end-time events. Uh, Eschatos, meaning last things. And of course, theology, meaning the study of the eschatology, the study of last things. And I pray that you, have, as the worshiper, have. I pray that you have gotten something out of these last two sermon series. I hope that you have. I hope that you have gotten something out of. I, I, I pray that the word of the Lord has has drawn you close closer to Himself. I hope that God has drawn you closer to Him today than you were yesterday. I. Pray that that has become a reality. See, the the coming of of the Lord is the portion of eschatologies, the study of end time events, that has generated almost more debate than any other topic. As you can imagine, there have been people over the ages, as the Lord Jesus had predicted, that would point to say, the Lord is, re- is returning on this day, He's returning on this day, he's, he's coming in this year and this season. There has been, uh, there has been a multitude of people uh, across history who have tried to pinpoint when Jesus would return. The Jehovah's Witness would say that in 1975 that Armageddon was coming. The Seventh-day Adventist, Ellen White would say that Jesus is returning on this certain day. And they, they would stand out on the, on the edge of the mountain range with white robes on, anticipating His return. And of course, we know that Jesus did not return. So as you can imagine, this is the portion of the study of the Bible that has generated more topic than any other topic that, that we know. And so I've got to ask you this question. And so, hopefully, that these questions will resonate with you this morning. I hope and pray that they will. Number one, when will the Lord return? You come next week and we'll find out what the Bible says about that. What has been fulfilled and what has not been fulfilled? Could Jesus return tomorrow? So, let me ask you that. Could Jesus return tomorrow? Could he return now? Is there any events or event that needs to happen before his return? And are these the wrong questions that we need to be asking? Now, certainly, I anticipate the Lord's return. Certainly, I want the Lord Jesus to return. I look for his return. But I've got to admit to you, in all honesty, I do not look for it as often and fervently as I should. Alistair Begg, who I love to hear preach with his Scottish accent there. um, Alistair Begg once stated, he said, the return of Jesus, it will be personal, it will be physical, it will be visible, and it will be glorious. So let's think about him for a minute. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. He's coming for me. He's coming for you as the believer. It will be physical, meaning that the the return of the Lord, that it will be a tangible. It will be it will invade the senses. We will see him, hear him. Uh, we will know that his return is, is visible. As Alistair Begg said, it is visible. We will see it. It will invade the senses. It is, it will be like any. It will be unlike any other event in history that has ever happened. And so it will be glorious. In fact, we don't have hardly anything to press up against the coming of the Lord. That is how glorious the return of our Lord Jesus will be. We hardly have anything to compare it to. This past week I was thinking to myself, and in one of the most odd places, uh, in the shower, as I threw my theological uh, and biblical exegesis in, this, in the shower, I think of the topics in the shower. No, I, I was in the shower at odd places, and I thought to myself, and I was really just thinking about how this word really speaks to me and, 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 and how I would relay this to people. To worshipers listening to the word and and this question was this if Jesus was returned right now in this moment what would make me want to avoid or, or be hesitant of his coming okay what what would we say what would make us what would make you hesitant of the Lord's return would we say something like Lord I don't know if you should return today I got a wedding to attend I got a birthday party this evening. The grass is getting high, Lord. Can you just wait just until this evening here to come? Listen, I I got a fishing hole I got to hit. So I'm talking to me. Right? What do I have on my calendar that I am so engrossed with that would make me say, Lord, please, not today? I've got this coming up. What would be that thing that would make us hesitant to see the Lord's return? Because we know, according to the Bible, it is a glorious event. See, the mature Christ follower would would yearn for Christ's return. So what does that tell you about my maturity? And if you're honest, what would it say about your maturity in Christ? That we go through phases. Phases. Sometimes we like to think of ourselves as mature and seasoned in our faith. But on this aspect of eschatology, the coming of our Lord, I I I must admit to you that I am not as mature as I need to be. To yearn, to long for the Lord's return. Because I, I mean, I look at the events in the world today. I look around at the world and I am torn. And I know you are too. You look at the events in the world today and and you've got to admit you're torn. Because on one hand, I know that we have a responsibility to to make the name of Jesus known in the world. Jesus gave us the great commission, didn't he? So I'm torn on one hand. I know that God has called us to a responsibility, even if Jesus was coming tomorrow, and even if I knew that he was returning tomorrow, that there is a responsibility, even, even if I know it was at the door, to preach the good news and to tell my neighbors who are lost and going to hell that Jesus is coming again. So there is a responsibility. And then on the other hand, I know that the return of Christ would ultimately rectify the wrongs and evils in this world. Again, in theological terms, we call this the reconciliation of all things. That Jesus is coming soon, morning, night, or noon, and at the end of the age, he's going to make all things new. Somebody please say Amen. The scriptures describe the coming of Jesus as imminent. And What do I mean by that? Close? Near? 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1 says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Why will it come as a thief in the night? Not only described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, but also in 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. Why will the coming of the Lord Jesus be like a thief in the night? And why will it be in a season that we think not? When will it come when we're not expecting There are lessons here to learn concerning the return of Jesus. The reason that Jesus will return uh, as a thief in the night is because many will not be looking for him. The reason that Jesus will come as a thief in the night will not only be that we're not looking for him, but we are just unaware or oblivious. So there are lessons I want to encourage you on a couple of them today. First, I want to say to the church, be vigilant and press on in Jesus. Be vigilant and press on in Jesus. Serve Jesus. Minister to others. Share the gospel. If He is coming tomorrow, share it as if He is on the horizon But at the same time, be patient. Imagine the level of patience that it takes for the body of Christ to be patient for the return of Christ from the day of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, from the day that he addressed them, that his return is at hand. There is a season coming of his return. Imagine the patience that it would take through church history. I would imagine the reason that people begin to predict the coming of the Lord and begin to look at signs and wonders in the heavens and say He is coming tomorrow is because we have lost a level of patience on our Lord. We know the world over that there, is, there, is, there comes patience in suffering. In fact, James 5, 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Be patient. The Lord will return. Be patient, church. The Lord will rectify the things in this world. He will right the wrongs of this era. So I asked the question last week. We said, is this Antichrist? And Jesus said there's a, an abomination of desolation that has happened once before in the history of the world. Two points were made. Number one, persecution and adversity brings one closer to the Lord. I think to myself of what is happening in Afghanistan today and the Christ followers there, that level of persecution, imagine, imagine what they're going through. Can, can you relate to that? Who can relate to that? Who can relate trying to plaster yourself to a plane and escaping persecution? How many today can relate to the level of persecution by being killed because you have a Bible on your phone? Anyone relate to that? Imagine the level of of solidarity that they have in their faith in Jesus to die for their faith. And you might say, well, preacher, there is a vast sea that, that separates us from them. But it is only just a short time and short distance until we might see persecution on this level. Don't be as Paul once was, or Peter, I should say, who looked at the Lord and said, I would never deny you. And that level of arrogancy and pride to say, it would never happen here. I would never deny my Lord. Then we discussed the greatest concern that we have. And that our greatest concern is not the abomination of desolation. Our greatest concern is not the Antichrist, whoever that might be on the scene of the world. Our greatest concern is whether we belong to Christ or not. Our greatest concern is whether or not the Lord will say, Enter in thy good and faithful servant, or if you will succumb to the wrath of the Lamb. If you think about it, that's what we are saved from. We are saved from the wrath of Almighty God and saved to our Lord. Your greatest concern is not the Antichrist. It is Jesus Christ. The greatest concern for the loss is the wrath of the Lamb upon sin. And yes, I believe the Antichrist could be in the world seen today. And I can, believe, I, I, I can see where he could be primed and ready to deceive many. But the eternal Jesus has been on the scene way longer than the devil. He has been on the scene way longer than the Antichrist has been. In fact, the Lord Jesus, who is the second person of the triune Godhead, is everlasting. So where do I invest my time? Where do you invest your time? On the living God, who is coming again? Or on a created human being who will be influenced by Satan and cause many to follow a lie? So today's question is the third part in our last thing series, and that is, is the return of Jesus soon? Is the return of our Lord soon? I will tell you this as I reflect on the words of Alistair Begg, that it will be glorious. But we also know that the Lord's return will be in great power. It's not going to be some secret hidden event. It's not going to be some secret headline that happens. Oh yeah, by the way, Jesus had returned for his people. No, it will be in great power. The coming of the Lord Jesus will be, the best way I can describe it would be ferocious to the unbeliever and welcomed by his people. Remember, Jesus just spoke to his disciples about the abomination of desolation and how the past events through Antichus Epiphanes, who was the... One of the abomination of desolation in in history will help them understand future events ahead. For Mark even says, and let the reader know, let you know, the worshiper know, that there is coming something that is far more more worse that happened in the temple under Antiochus Epiphanes. There is coming a time in history that is so horrible that there is hardly anything to compare it to. So Jesus said in verse 24, In those days after tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, and stars will fall from the heavens, and the powers of the heavens, they will be shaken. Sounds like a scary image, doesn't it? Listen, if you were to make a movie of this, if you were to make a movie of the Bible, don't you know that almost every act in the Bible would be a rated R movie? And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds and great power and glory. And then He will send out His angels and gather the elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth and to the ends of of heaven. But I want you to listen to the tenderness in our Savior and yet the sobering words that He shares. Notice that Jesus warns or welcomes the reader, you and I, the worshiper, as he is addressing Peter James John and Andrew he says be on guard be on guard because not many days from this point this is kind of like a this is kind of like a pause in Jesus ministry there are some things coming that you need to know about before Jesus marches towards Calvary once again there's some things that you need to be aware of be on guard i have forewarned you and much of the issues that we face today in, in the body of Christ, and as the body of Christ is, is failing to stay on guard. We let everything in our home, we let everything invade our senses, we let everything uh, captivate us other than, other than the Scripture and, and being held accountable to, to God's Word in our home. We let everything in our home, except for God's Word, and he says be on guard we guard ourselves with the knowledge of the word and we and we and and, and we guard it by thinking critically and in an analytical way. Yes, you could be a Christ follower and think critically. I don't mean by criticizing everything. I mean by, by thinking through and reasoning through God's word, reasoning through scripture, reasoning as you look at current events in the world and say, hey, how can I filter, uh, how can I look at God's word and then look at the world through the lens of scripture? How, how, can I, how can I be analytical in that way and think critically about the scope of what God says about what is happening in the world today? One of the greatest tools I learned in seminary was not theology, although it was helpful, was not sermon preparation, although that was helpful too, wasn't learning of Old Testament and New Testament history, although that was helpful. One of the greatest tools that I learned in my training in seminary was critical. And analytical thinking. Where the word of the Lord, God himself, come let us reason together. Come let us reason together. As to direct His disciples to the future events, Jesus uses this conjunction. Most of the time in Scripture, or sometimes in Scripture, uh, there is a conjunction that is used, and I like to call it a gospel conjunction. But in this case, the Lord uses this but. There's, a different, there's, a, there's, a, there's something coming up, a different, a, a different topic that our Lord is talking about, although the topic is almost still the same. As if to say, what I'm about to tell you is a little different in time than before, thus setting the stage for this dual purpose of prophecy. Think of of prophecy in this way. Think of it, the best way I can describe it is like a telescope. There has to be somebody on the end who receives the initial prophetic word from Jesus in this case. And it scopes down through history, and it looks through history. It looks through the lens of of history itself. So it must say something to the original audience, and then you as the reader, as Mark says, the worshiper, the reader. Not too many years from this moment, the destruction of the beloved temple will occur in 70 A.D., but there is also something way past this event, Because Jesus says, in those days. Have you ever did a word search of that, in in those days? In those days is is a phrase that should resonate with the disciples much like the abomination of desolation did. So when the disciples heard the abomination of desolation, their, their mind went to a place in history where their people were being persecuted. In those days, it resonated and said, Okay, now there's something that that Jesus is going to say about the future. In those days. In fact, the phrase in those days is used 36 different times just in the Old Testament alone. And most of the time, it points to what is called the great day of the Lord. And sometimes it would be phrased, the great and terrible day of the Lord. Coupled with this great persecution... And tribulation comes the shaking of the luminaries at the coming of our Lord. The sun will be blackened. The moon will fail to shine. The stars will be shaken out of the heaven. And these are found in places in the Old Testament too. Particularly apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic genre in scripture. And here are a few specific references speaks of the darkening of the sun and the shaking of the luminaries. And here are a few places that, if I'll leave that up there for a few moments, if you want to write down any of these references to, in those days, or the great day of the Lord, speaking to the shaking of the luminaries from the sun and the moon and the stars being affected by the Lord and His judgment. And I will say this, that all the events that Jesus described or part and parcel to what we know as apocalyptic literature. These are things that are coming, and more so, it points to a time in history where God Himself will judge wickedness. So again, we say the great and terrible day of the Lord because it is terrible for those who do not know Him. There's coming such a great reckoning that the Lord Jesus must shorten it in order to save the earth from total annihilation. When you think of, of this judgment, it reminds us that there's an urgent response here. There's an urgency to it. And on our behalf, to discard and turn our backs from sin. That, really, that's what that is. Turn, turn your back on, on sin and wickedness and, and serve Christ fervently. Paul would say we press towards the mark, we strive for perfection. Ultimately, the Lord is going to return, He's going to judge, but I tell you this, those who do not know Him, you do not want to be caught in the crosshairs of this judgment. You've got friends and family who do not know Him. This should be a sobering thought. For those in Jesus, the coming of the Lord is glorious. To the unbeliever, it is a horror unspeakable. Maybe the reason that we don't invest much in the coming of the Lord is maybe we don't even believe it. Maybe, you don't, maybe we don't believe He's returning. Maybe you have a hard time with that. I remember what the Lord Jesus said when He stood in front of the chief priest who asked Him. You remember this? The, the, pilot, uh, the chief priest asked, he said, he says, uh, asked Him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? And remember that? And he He asked Jesus of this. And here's Jesus' response. He said in Matthew 26 and verse 64, Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The word of the Lord Jesus to his early disciples reminds them that not only is Messiah coming to judge sin, to take sin upon himself, but then to judge wickedness. But he is also returning to rectify the effects of sin on the world. We would call this a reversal of sin. So sin has this cosmic consequence on everything. Everything in the world that we know has this cosmic consequence brought on by sin itself. And this is something that the that only Christ, the Son of the living God, can rectify. Your works can't do it. Nothing can rectify. Government can't do it. Only Christ. Now, the words uh, will resonate, hopefully, with you uh, today that Jesus is coming soon. Think of that song we sang. Think of the words of that. Jesus is coming soon. Morning, night, or noon, many will meet their doom, trumpets will sound. Now, that does sound wonderful, does it? If you know Him today, if you know Christ, you abide in Him and He in you, then that sounds wonderful, well, most of it anyway. Most of that sounds good, doesn't it? Most of that sounds great. All of that sounds good except for, except for the portion that many will meet their doom. And, and it surprises me today that there are some churches today that exist who would be considered mainline Christian denominations that do not hold this type of coming judgment on behalf of God, they do not hold to it. They would strike it from their teaching. They would strike it from their hymnals. They would strike it from their theology altogether. Even churches today, I don't know, I've heard sermons. I've heard people that would say, why would a loving God judge in this way? And here's my response to that, and hopefully yours too. Have you not read the word of the Lord? Most, one of the most loving things that a loving God can do is to eradicate sin. Revelation chapter 19, probably one of the most glorious pictures of the Lord Jesus, very sobering picture of Christ and His return. The Bible shows, demonstrates, illustrates, gives a vision to John on the Isle of Patmos, this Roman mining community, the return of the Lord Jesus. And it says... in in Revelation 19, around verse 11 and so forth, that the return of the Lord Jesus will have myriads of people with Him and placing underfoot now the beast and false prophets simply by speaking His Word. The Bible tells me that a sharp two-edged sword will come from His mouth, meaning that the Lord Jesus will simply speak it to be by the Word of His mouth. What a wonderful picture. So yes, Jesus is coming soon. It could be morning. It could be night. It could be noon. It could be before we walk at this door. Many will meet their doom, sadly enough. So for the Christ follower who loves, who say they love people who are made in the image and likeness of God, that ought to put a little pep in your step, shouldn't it? That ought to put a little fuel in the fire for evangelism and outreach. I know people right now who are lost. Now, I mean, I can't grab them by the neck and, you know, put them in a headlock and say, "You got to believe you're going to hell, don't you know that?" I'm not going to convert, coerce anybody into believing, and I know we can't do that. And that really, First Thessalonians chapter four seventeen says, "All in the dead shall rise, meet in the sky." Going where no one dies, heavenward bound. 1 Thessalonians four seventeen, That we will be called up to be with the Lord. Now, of course, there are a few issues and some theological ironing out that we must do with those lyrics. But mostly they are intact. And what I mean by this is, is this. We might meet the Lord in the sky, sure. And then again, we might rule and reign over the earth with our Lord. We are not, and I want to say this, we are not simply saved and redeemed just so we can say that we're going to heaven. Sure, uh, it's a, what you might call a Christian benefit, I guess. We're saved because, you know, we're saved and we'll, we'll reach heaven. But listen, I know I'm not saved because I wanted to just simply go to heaven. I wasn't saved just simply because I wanted to escape some wrath that's coming. We are saved, we are sealed, we are sanctified and one day glorified because, you know it, He first loved us. He will send out His messengers to gather the elect from all points of the earth throughout the whole of Scripture. There is this constant theme of God scattering because of wickedness and then gathering His people. I challenge you, if you've been reading through the Bible in a year from Genesis to the book of Revelation, I challenge you, mark the times to where you find God scatters and gathers. He, scat- he scatters His people and gathers them together. Now, I'm glad that the Lord God is coming to gather His people. Amen. To gather His people as a pastor and preacher, I would, I would never try to scare a person into believing or coming to the Lord Jesus. I wouldn't sit down with somebody and say, Don't you know the Antichrist is coming soon? Don't you know that there's great tribulation? Don't you want to believe in Jesus? I would never try to scare a person into becoming a believer. In fact, I couldn't do that. In fact, salvation doesn't work that way, it never has. And now now God can use, by His Holy Spirit, He can use end-time events to uh, to direct a person to their own sinfulness and look into the Son of God. I know that. So hear me closely. I'm not going through end-time events just to get you into the kingdom, to try to scare you into believing. Listen to me. I am just a low preacher boy from Jacksonville, North Carolina, I do not have a dog in the fight when it comes to you believing or not. That is the work of the Lord. But if it means that I will put everything that I can before you to be faithful to the Word so that you might hear that Jesus saves and is coming again, I will do that. I'll never. I'll never forget attending a church, and uh, this particular church was more of a charismatic type church. And we were attending. Um, we hadn't become members of this church yet. It was. I was probably maybe Abrams' age, nine, ten years old, maybe coming up on nine. And I'll never forget this. This church played a series of movies on the end time events: the rapture, pre-tribulation rapture, the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. Uh, You know, those type movies. And it played a a series of four movies on Sunday night. Events that are foretold in Scripture, although maybe interpreted in different ways. I remember those movies scared me so bad they gave me nightmares. And I, I remember as an adult... I remember as an adult scheming in my mind how I would escape the mark of the beast and the Antichrist by running to the foothills of Tennessee and trying to become a survivalist in the woods. Now, how how do you think that that would work out with a 16, 17-year-old or 18-year-old trying to be a survivalist who don't know anything about carrying a Rambo survival knife? As an adult, I was scheming How not to take the mark of the beast. It scared me out of my mind and I still didn't become a believer. Why? Because the Holy Spirit does the work and not a movie intended to scare you into, into some easy believism. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that saves. Eschatology is not meant... I've got to say this too before we move on. Eschatology, is a study of end time events, it is not meant for doom and gloom. It is for hope of the return of the Lord. The book of the Revelation, although it's a scary book, the book of the Revelation is not a uh, doom and gloom book. It is not one of hopelessness. It is one of hope that there is returning a king, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is a book that is one of hope and not doom and gloom. Now, it is one of doom and can be scary for the unbeliever. But for the Christ follower, it's a book of promise. I will say this as we look at verse 28, that the return of the Lord, the word and the prophecy of his return, is certain. He's coming again. We don't know when. We'll talk about that next week as we finish up, as we wrap up chapter 13. But the return of the Lord is certain. 28 says, Learn the listen of the fig tree, Learn its lesson: as soon as its branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that, that He, Jesus is near, the coming of the Lord. He's at the very gate. Truly or verily, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will not pass away, but my words will. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, the overall gist of what our Lord Jesus is saying here, just as the fig leaf will fall in due season, whether it be summer, fall, or whatever it might be, so will his return in due time, in due season. Something to note, the coming of the Lord Jesus was just as real, just as imminent, just as close to Peter, James, John, Andrew and the disciples as it is for us today. I use this often to think about some people would say, well, they thought that Jesus was returning then and, and we thought that Jesus was going to return in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands. Remember uh, remember when the uh, the uh, Y two K scare, right? Something's gonna happen, maybe Jesus is gonna return in the year in, in the year two thousand, and so there was this expectancy, something's gonna happen, and and yet it and yet it did not. When Jesus spoke these words, the disciples heard that Jesus was returning. It is imminent. It is at the door. And so I begin to think to myself, Scripture tells us that a thousand years is a day with our Lord, right? So in effect, it's saying that time is almost of no effect on our Lord. When you see these things Jesus spoke of, and when you see them intensify, you know his return is at hand. And I would tell you, based upon past history of the world, I would raise my hand today. I would be one of the first people that says, well, Jesus, his return is soon. He can come tomorrow. Tomorrow. So, you, Peter, James, John, Andrew, when you see these signs preceding the destruction of the temple, which is a type of abomination of desolation, you see the Roman army surrounding the temple, sacking the temple, so to speak, you know the return is at hand. As you can imagine, in verse 30, is a very controversial verse. Unbelievers would say, and skeptics would say, see, they thought thought the return of the Lord was then, and so on down through history. Jesus said that this generation will not pass away until these things take place. It is is a vast prophecy that is not just about Peter, James, John, and Andrew. It is not just simply about them. In the time of the disciples, they did happen. But in a different scenario, they were persecuted, the temple was destroyed, Antichrist rose and fall, false prophets littered history. But more specifically, the race of humanity itself will not pass away until they witness these things. Many will say that Jesus lied because he has yet to return and his disciples died. But just as prophecy can have dual purposes, so are these predictions. See, the disciples, they saw a foreshadowing of the cosmic events of the end. But so shall we, like the fig tree, in due time. Humankind as we know it. So to think about it like this. Humankind as we know it will not pass away until we see the return of Jesus. It's another way you can say you can count on it. You can count on it. Jesus is coming again. The International Standard Version translates verse 30 like this. I tell you with certainty, this generation will not disappear until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear Jesus said he is returning and I believe it he said his returning is near and I believe it I believe that Christ could come at any moment I don't, I don't believe and here's the thing about believing in the return of the Lord Jesus I don't believe simply to escape some hardships but in all honesty I just want to be with the Lord forever I can't even imagine the the worship scene on that day. I can't imagine it. Can you imagine the saints of the Lord who have gone on to be with Christ? Can you imagine? Some of you have lost loved ones, and they've gone on to be with the Lord. Can you imagine that worship scene? You think of that song, I can only imagine? I can't. I can't. Imagine that worship scene. Heaven will not be an eternity of a long church service. When you get into heaven, Jesus isn't going to hand you a bulletin and say this is the order of service for for eternity. No. But there will be proclamations going to the Lord continually. At the end of Revelation chapter 4, the the Bible depicts that every living thing in the created order will give praise to God. In verse 8, it is the creatures of creation and the angels proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who, is, who was, who is, and who is to come or who is coming. The outline of the book of the Revelation. Who was, who is, and who is coming. In verse 8, it is the summation of all of God's people. People in the Lord Jesus, the summation of all of God's people in Christ, saying, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because You created all things. They came into existence and were created because of Your will. See, guarantees come and go. But the guarantee of the word is promised to not fade away. Now, maybe for many here today, we do not think of the Lord's return as often as we should. And that's me. By going through Mark 13, it has has put me into that way of thinking for a few weeks now. And praise the Lord for that. It has become for many abused in the past, and so we gloss over it as if it is some dusty, archaic teaching long past expounded upon. I read an article this past week that reminded me of this nonchalant attitude that has taken form and shape in the church today. Attitude of the return of the Lord in this nonchalant way. An article goes at this. It says, After church, where she had been taught about the second coming, a little girl was quizzing her mother. She said, Mommy, do you believe that Jesus will come back? She said, Yes. The little girl says, Today? Yes. In a few minutes? Yes, dear. Then the little girl says, Mommy, Would you call my hair this nonchalant way of thinking about the return of of our Lord? Do we truly look for the return of Jesus? The reason that Jesus' return will come as a thief in the night and unexpected is because people have grown cold in seeking His return. In closing... I remember the words of Horatius Bonner, who wrote these words. In closing remarks, he said, Come, Lord, and tarry not. Bring the long looked for day. Oh, why these years of waiting here, these ages of delay? Come, for thy saints still wait. Daily ascends their sigh. The spirit and the bride say, Come, dost thou not hear the cry? Come, for the creation groans in patience of thy stay, Worn out with these long years of ill, these ages of delay. Come and make all things new. Build up this ruined earth. Restore our faded paradise, creation's second birth. Come and begin thy reign of everlasting peace. Come, take thy kingdom to thyself, great king of righteousness. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Are you anticipating his return? What would bring you to a place where you would hesitate of His return? Lord, may it not be today. Lord, I've got something to do today. Would He find you abiding in Him and He in you? Can you say that your sins have been forgiven and the death on the cross and His resurrection was sufficient for your salvation? Are you looking for our Lord's return? Let's uh, let's pray together. Let's do that.